What's up, y'all? Pete Kennedy here of Subway Sports Talk. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST, as you always do on Apple Podcasts app, Spotify. You hear me say these words, so you found us somewhere. Don't forget, we're now on YouTube, so don't forget to subscribe to YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notifications button so you know when we drop new videos. Right now, every single pod that's going up on your podcast apps is going up in some fashion on YouTube as well. For example, on this one, we have two separate videos the first segment being about the NBA playing games and the Brooklyn Nets, and then the second one being about the Mets and Yankees and a vibe check. So do yourself a favor. If you want that Yankees-Mets content, skip over to minute 30 right now. And if you want that basketball content and the Met-Yankee content, just stay tuned. Here we go. Subway Sports Talk. Thanks for listening. Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST. I have a podcast app, Spotify, YouTube hear me say these words so you found us don't forget to subscribe rate review on the podcast apps subscribe hit the notification button maybe leave a comment if you're watching along with us on youtube if you're if you're feeling me eye to eye right here talking some nba basketball because it's play-in season baby it's not quite playoff season yet even though you know we're basically there we just have a couple of important games to come up to first that includes of course the nets taking on the Cavs for the 7-8 we got the hornets hawks for the 9-10 and a chance at the 8. Then in the Western Conference, we got the Clippers and Timberwolves, which should be a really good game. And then the uh, Spurs and Pelicans in that 9-10 range looking to play for that 8 seed. We're going to have some great games, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. And obviously the Nets are the talk of the town in regards to that because they are looked at as a team that has a chance not only to you know win their playing game, but then go give the Boston Celtics a real problem or the Milwaukee Bucks a real problem or the Miami Heat if they end up in the eight seed a real problem this is something that has been talked about at nauseum guess what I'm gonna do it again because I have some thoughts but first let's hear from our friends over at DraftKings the NBA playoffs mean next level basketball get ready for all the action by betting the play-in tournament with DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. Did you hear that right? Yeah, you got to bet on a team to win, but they don't even have to win for you to cash out. So you might like the Nets like a sane person to beat the Cavaliers, but even if you bet on the Cavaliers $5, you win $150 instantly, and then maybe you're going to lose the $5. <laughs> but you clinch the win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. I think you got to put in some Kyrie props in there. Kyrie three-pointers, Kyrie over points, Nets money line, KD something or other. Maybe KD assist. Did you see that the other day? KD dropping dimes, all right? Add that to your same-game parlay. You might like the way it looks. Plus, for each day of play-in, 
get a risk-free bet up to $10 in your same game if your same game parlay doesn't hit. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the playing tournament and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, there we go. You know what to do now on the DraftKings front. Place your $5 bet. You get $150 free. You're going to be a happy camper. Maybe you put more than five bucks and you you walk away with like 170, 175, 200 if you're feeling frisky. Who's to say? Who's counting? I don't know what, what you got in your wallet. I'm just saying that's a, that's a good one right there. New customers, TBPM. That's it. It is what it is. But we do got this exciting game now. We got the Nets at the Cavs. It would have been more exciting, of course, if the Cleveland Cavaliers didn't you know, fall apart down the stretch. And that that's, it seems rude. That seems wrong to say it in that manner because it's not their fault. It's not like they just started playing terribly. They had a bad run of injuries. They had first, obviously, the Colin Sexton injury, which didn't affect them too bad because they had the Ricky Rubio uh, signing in the offseason that really helped them get going, helped keep them steady, helped take some pressure off Darius Garland in his candidacy for most improved player, and then Mobley in his run at Rookie of the Year. Allen as an all-star this year, Jared Allen. They were a really good team. But then not only was Colin Sexton hurt, then Ricky Rubio gets hurt. And then things start to slip a little bit, but they're still playing well. Jared Allen banged up. Mobley misses time. Oh, it was the run from hell for the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was actually like the opposite of what happened with the New York Knicks last year. The Knicks started off pretty much like 500 playing whatever basketball. Then they bring in Derrick Rose and they get healthy. And Julius Randle takes off all the way throughout the rest of the season. And they finish up at the four or five seed range not starting off at the four or five through the all-star and then falling apart. It was kind of the opposite, right? And in the end, the outcomes may not be completely different. Yes, the Knicks got uh, the full playoff series, even though they lost four to one to the Atlanta Hawks. The Cavs may not. They still can get that series possibly if they take care of business against the Nets or the winner of Haw- uh, Hawks Hornets. So it's not over yet. They still could have a nice playoff experience here but let's be honest, it's all about the Nets, and it's all about who's going to face the Nets in the first round. It looks like if they take care of business, it will be Celtics versus Brooklyn, and that, man, that's got people excited, as it should. Because anytime you get a full week, week and a half, two weeks to watch Kevin Durant go up against elite talent and Kyrie Irving go up against elite talent like Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart on the defensive end, that Celtics team that's been really, really good since the All-Star break, you sign up for it, and you watch it, and you, and you enjoy it. That's, that's just how it goes, right? But what is it about these Nets that even after seeing all these struggles give us some reason to believe they're going to actually deliver that sort of series that we all hope for? Because if you think about what they've accomplished this year, it's not quite as easy to understand why they're going to give Boston or Miami or Milwaukee or Philly or whoever they face off in the playoffs first round or beyond a real run for their money. The simple answer is Kevin Durant. The simple answer is when you got KD on your team, you got a chance and that's the truth. And that's going to probably hold true, but in order for this team to truly hit stride and 
be a game changer or a series changing team, a playoff changing team. It doesn't, it's not going to be just Kevin Durant. It can't just be Kevin Durant. It has to be Kyrie. It has to be Seth Curry or Patty Mills shooting the ball. It has to be Nick Claxton and Andre Drummond not getting played off the court, depending on the matchup. Those things are really important. And I went through it before I started recording here and I counted it up. Did you know that over 20 players played for the Brooklyn Nets this year? 24 to be exact. 20 of those players played 24 games or more. So that's well over a quarter of the season, nearly two thirds of the season. I'm sorry, a third of the season played by 20 different players. I know a lot of Nets fans haven't been thrilled with Steve Nash and what he's done as a coach, but you have to look at this thing fairly and holistically. When Kevin Durant's been on the court, this has been a winning team. When Kevin Durant's off the court, not so much. So I ask you, Nets fam, who's upset with Steve Nash, who wants him out after this season. Obviously, you have to see how it plays out into the playoffs here. But if I told you at the beginning of the season, that Kyrie would play games in the 20s, James Harden would stink and not want to be there and get traded, that Joe Harris didn't play at all, basically the entire season, right? Blake Griffin was a non-factor. LaMarcus Aldridge missed half the games. What, What would you think happened? What would you think if Kevin Durant basically led this team in games outside of Patty Mills with 55? That's it. Nobody else was an established just piece of the team outside of Patty Mills and Bruce Brown, who played 72. Kevin Durant, 55. He had more than Kyrie, who had 29, more than James Harden, who was healthy-ish, I guess, whatever, and then got traded, doesn't even matter. LaMarcus Aldridge didn't get to 50. What was Steve Nash supposed to do? That's my question. What was he supposed to do? Supposed to still win 55-plus games? Still supposed to win 60 games without Kevin Durant and without Kyrie for way more than half the games? So before you rush to judgment about Steve Nash, you have to look at the situation with some sense of realism. They had a disaster from start to finish between the COVID and the vaccine stuff with Kyrie, with James Harden being out of shape and or hurt and then wanting out, Joe Harris missing a whole boatload of games. Joe Harris played 14 games. 14. Come on now. That's the core. That's who is supposed to carry you to being a championship contender. Literally, in an ideal world, before this trade happened, before Harden wanted out, before Kyrie didn't get vaccinated. Well, I guess he never got vaccinated, but you know what I'm saying. Who's the starting five? Who's the crunch time five? Kyrie. James Harden, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, and then insert LaMarcus Aldridge, Nick Claxton, Bruce Brown, whoever it is, right? None of those guys hit stride at the same time together. And they were flashes, and there were moments. When it's all said and done, you're going to look back on this year and say, what a year from hell. That's Steve Nash's fault? Not in my book. Is not Steve Nash's fault, okay? Now, what he has to do here is push the right buttons and not leave Andre Drummond out to be exposed in the wrong series, in the wrong matchup, to use Nick Claxton wisely, to maybe pull the Blake Griffin card out of his pocket 
in the right series where he's going to give you energy, make the right pass, maybe hit a shot or two. It's not over for Steve Nash. Like he doesn't have anything to prove. Of course he does. Of course he has things to prove. But to this point, when he has the guy who he signed up to coach and then a few of the other pieces, this team wins games, man. So before you want to kick this guy out and you don't know who's going to come in to be the next coach of these stars, take a look over to Tinseltown. They still call the Los Angeles town that Tinseltown. I don't know. Go look at the Lakers. Two years ago, Frank Vogel walking on clouds, walking on sunshine. Anthony Davis, the next great Laker big of all time. LeBron James, he might catch Kobe. He might pass Kobe. He might catch MJ. They just fired Frank Vogel, man. They just fired him. They didn't make the play in. They didn't make the play in. And LeBron played just about, about the same amount of games as Kevin Durant this year. Frank Vogel, gone. See you later. Anthony Davis missed hella games. Gone. What are the Lakers going to do now? They're going to hope that Doc Rivers blows it again for Philly so they could bring him in to coach the Lakers? What is that? Where is your better option? I say this to Knicks fans all the time, too. You want to fire your coach. Who are you bringing in? Because guess what? The types of coaches that like Memphis has brought in who have done an incredible job. That doesn't work in New York. Can't bring in Dave Yeager, unknown. And right now, the, the coach of the Grizzlies, current coach, is actually slipping my mind. And I'm going to look it up here quickly and multitask Taylor Jenkins. Thank you, Google. The Knicks going to bring in a Taylor Jenkins? Who's the Taylor Jenkins? Where's the next one? I don't know. Do you? Because if, if you say Mark Jackson to me, that's when I hang up the conversation. That's when I don't want to hear what you have to say anymore. Guy hasn't coached in nearly 10 years for a reason, right? So before you kick Steve Nash to the curb, can we at least talk about who you're going to replace him with? Can we at least watch how this playoff series play out? What if they knock off Boston? What if they take Milwaukee to seven again? What if they freaking make the conference finals, the finals? So before you kick this guy out of the curb, Take a look at the Lakers, see what they just did to Frank Vogel and how they didn't even make the play in and count your blessings that you still have Kevin Durant. He's still one of the best three players, four players in the league, best player on any given night. And you have a chance. You have a serious, serious chance. On the other front in the Eastern Conference, uh, I forgot to mention though, minus eight and a half for the Brooklyn Nets. Minus eight and a half. It's a tricky line. I don't love it. I think everyone and their mother is going to want to bet the Nets, so I get it. It doesn't It doesn't excite me, the eight and a half. I'm not going to lie. I probably won't touch it. Talking about the DraftKings thing before, about the same game parlay, what I would do is take the the minus. I think it's, it's pretty hefty. It might be like a minus 700. And then you throw in the Kevin Durant to get 25. I like the Kevin Durant assist prop perhaps here. Uh, you can you can play it down to four. You can play it even lower than that, depending on what how you want to play with the odds. Th- that's how you got to bet this game if you're going to really bet it and want the Nets to win and expect the Nets to win like they should, you know. Th- and throw in the Darius Garland twenty plus, and then and then you're off and running. Kyrie as well, you know. These guys are going to show out in a game like this. It's one and done. 
KD and Kyrie go down swinging. If they go down at all, they're going to get theirs. They're going to both score some points. I think Garland does the same on the Cleveland side. Durant assists, Brooklyn money line. That's how, that's how I'm going to look to bet this game. And maybe I'll post that uh, before the night actually happens here. Um, but moving on in the Eastern Conference here, you have the Hawks and the Hornets. That's a little bit of a closer spread. Hawks minus four and a half. Gordon Hayward is out for Charlotte. That is a tough pill to swallow. He's such a steadying force for them. You know, you don't think of him as deleting anything on their team because LaMelo is LaMelo and he's really, you know, he's been really good this year. He's a fantastic young player. Miles Bridges has taken a massive leap this year. You think of him before Gordon Hayward, but when this team's clicking on all cylinders, it's when Gordon Hayward is taking pressure as a playmaker off LaMelo, as a scorer off Miles Bridges, and being that versatile wing defender that he is. So, the Hawks are a weird team here. They're a little scary, to be honest, right? Like, you know, we keep talking about Brooklyn and not wanting to see Kevin Durant in a playoff series. If I'm sitting here as Miami, I'm saying, damn, I kind of hope Cleveland holds on to that eight seed. I kind of hope the Charlotte Hornets knock down the Hawks because, you know, we ain't scared, but if we had to choose, I ain't choosing the Hawks. I ain't choosing trying to chase around Trey Young and him go for 35, 40 points a night because they could beat you, man. And there, there won't be a, a lot of people betting on the Hawks to take down the Heat if they become the eighth seed, but there will be people betting it and there will be people saying it because they're not wrong. It's a realistic thing to say. What is the Heat's biggest strength? It's the defense. It's the tenacity. It's Jimmy Butler, Bam and Tyler Hero being good offensive players, and it's the system, right? But their weakness is half-court offense and scoring in in mounds, right? Like really just laying it on them. Like they don't, they don't go score 140 all the time like that. It's just not how they play. They grind it out. They can play fast a little bit, but it's really not their game. They're going to grind on defense. They're going to take a bunch of threes, yeah, with Kyle Lowry, and Duncan Robinson and Hero and Struess and et cetera. But they're not built to play these shootouts. And if Trey Young f- figures out a way to make Tyler Hero pay as a defender and Bam is not able to be as effective as we know him to be as a defender on Trey Young because of the floaters and the lobs and the step backs and the shooting and the touch and everything, that's a scary place to be. You know, we we talked about the Hawks a lot this year. Uh, maybe probably not as much as we should, honestly, because of how disappointing they were in, in a lot of regards. They really were disappointing, but they still have a load of talent. Like Trey's numbers this year are silly. He's twenty eight four and almost ten assists. His PR, all the efficiency, very solid. Now, it's been disappointing for them. The defense hasn't been good. John Collins, solid. Bogdan Bogdanovich, my boy, hasn't been phenomenal, but they still got talent, and I'd still be scared of them. So if I'm the Heat, I'm rooting for Cleveland to knock down them if they're in that situation. I'm rooting for Charlotte first and foremost on Wednesday, uh, but I, I do like Atlanta in that game. If you really want to get frisky with it, I, I could actually plug this in real quick here. I have to imagine if you take the Nets and Hawks money line over the next couple of days, you get a decent bet there, and yeah, you do. The Nets minus 400. I think I said 700 before. That was ridiculous. The Nets minus 400. Hawks minus 190. Gets you to minus 110. 
I think that's a reasonable bet as well. Obviously, you're just betting on two favorites, so it's always a little bit sketchy. But minus 111 on DraftKings, I think you take that bet. I think you take it. On to the Western Conference. Let's talk about the Clippers and Timberwolves. This is a game that is actually underrated here. So in the Eastern Conference, you have all these teams over 40 wins, over 500, right? Nets, Cleveland, Charlotte, Atlanta, all above 500, all solid teams with probably disappointing stretches of the year, right? Atlanta should have been better. Brooklyn obviously should have been better. Cleveland was better, fell off. Charlotte, maybe this is what they were supposed to be. Over here in the Western Conference now, you know, you got you got the Timberwolves at 46 and 36. You got the Clippers at 42 and 40, just over 500. After that, the Pelicans 10 games under and the Spurs 12 games under. Mm, like that's not that exciting. Okay. However, the Pelicans are playing better. The Spurs are fighting for pop. You know, you, you never want to take the Spurs for granted. But the game to be to watch is the Timberwolves at um uh, sorry, Clippers at Timberwolves. Clippers are, geez, Timberwolves are minus three and a half. And if you haven't watched the Timberwolves this year, let me just tell you this. First and foremost, Anthony Edwards is a little bit banged up, but he's supposed to play. It's all good. Carl Anthony Towns has been on a mission this year. I've watched a little bit more Timberwolves than I probably want to admit. This team is really exciting. Now, the Clippers have been one of the better stories all year, missing Paul George for a huge chunk missing Kawhi for the entire thing and just hanging all year long and being right around 500, being a little bit above 500. Tyloo deserves so much credit. This team deserves so much credit. But Towns has been on a mission. He's been a savage this year. He's playing better defense. The shooting is still insane. He does so much for them on offense. And D'Angelo Russell has worked his way back to that player that we all kind of liked a lot in Brooklyn without having the crazy trigger that he did then like he's still taking a couple too many shots a couple too many heat checks per se but the passing is back and he's back up to seven assists and I, i'll never forget watching his highlights from ohio state just loving that dude for the vision the cross court bounce passes in transition just hitting shooters right in the chest with the left hand like it it was just beautiful to watch and he was a guy who i projected as this amazing passing scoring guard who can really do it all for an offense. And sometimes with the heat check type of guy, the worst thing you can do is make shots. And when he was in Brooklyn, he was hitting these deep threes and it was awesome. And he made the all-star team and they made the playoffs. And he was this guy who kind of came out of nowhere after a really, really bad start to his career in LA and, you know, came back. He was back. He was a real dude, you know? And then, Got a little too high on his horse. Got a little too shot happy. Didn't continue to stay the playmaker that he was all along. And and that's where it got a little weird. That's where it got ugly at times because the defense wasn't there. The playmaking wasn't showing up consistently like we know it could have. And the shots weren't falling. Well, guess what? Now the shots are falling at a decent clip. The assists are back up to seven. He's got two dudes next to him and Ant Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. And now the real kicker for this team. And when I say the real kicker, yeah, I'm, I'm slightly, very slightly tongue in cheek. Cause you know, they're not the most important guys on their team, but Jared Vanderbilt, Jared Vanderbilt is a 
jumping bean out there, man. He's so energetic. He's all over the court. He's he's just killing folks on defense. I heard Bill Simmons and Rosillo talking about how Towns technically could be like looked at as a forward because because he kind of plays the center position, and Jaden McDaniels is very similar as well. Like they're the guys who are playing off on defense and just flying around up at the rim, trying to block shots, rebounding, running, dunking. Like they are athletic freaks who play hard on both ends. Vanderbilt and McDaniels have been super fun to watch this year. Combining them with that quote unquote big three of, of Russell Edwards and towns. They're a hard team to, to beat. And you know, it's almost a shame that they're in the play in man. 46 wins is no joke. Now they have to play in against the Clippers. Ty Lu is one of the best coaches in the league. Easy bar none. And, and it's a tough matchup. Now, granted, if they do lose to the Clippers, they have lesser teams in the Pelicans and the Spurs. I think the Timberwolves win. They deserve to be in there. I think this is where we see Towns assert himself. I really do. I think Towns asserts himself and reminds people that he was that dude, the next unicorn, the next big thing for a reason. Because when he first came up, it was Towns and Bede Porzingis, right? Porzingis obviously got hurt, never been the same. Maybe never should have been on that level. I think he deserved to be in that conversation for a while. But Embiid took over as the dude. And Towns was the guy who didn't have the winning mentality, who didn't grind on defense, who didn't play winning basketball. That had to eat at him for a long time. And after the year or two years now he had with family losses uh, due to COVID, it looks like he stopped giving a shit about anything else except playing for himself, playing for his family name, playing for the loved ones lost, and playing for his teammates. It's a different vibe watching Cat now than watching Cat three, four years ago. And it's electric. He's one of the most talented bigs we have in this game. And we took him for granted because after Jimmy Butler left, they lost and lost and lost and lost. Well, now with Ant Edwards in town, with Russell in town, with a good culture, man, they got something going. This was a serious team this year, and they're not to be slept on. Now, I'm not saying they're going to go out, win this game, and take the Grizzlies to seven, maybe beat them. You know, I think they, I think they fight with the Grizzlies. I think they go five or six at minimum. I don't think they, they're not, they're not a team that's going to get swept. I don't see that, even though the Grizzlies are a well-oiled machine. I just can't wait to see Towns in this setting and see him continue to take that leap after leap after leap. Spurs, Pelicans. I mean, listen, not the most exciting game. Two teams well under 500. You do get to see the Pelicans. Maybe for the first time this year, right? I'm, I'm sure a lot of you haven't watched a, a bunch of Pelicans games. I know I've only caught a handful, uh, but CJ has been really fun since he's moved over to New Orleans. You got some good players. The guy that everyone talks about on NBA Twitter on all the podcasts, that is a freak that I've checked out, specifically YouTube pilots. I had to see what people were talking about. Herb Jones just defending everybody and anybody out there on the court. So he's going to be a very dynamic piece to watch in this playoff uh, playing game and see what happens after that. Um, but I, I do expect it to be Timberwolves and Clippers. They've been better all year. They're well-coached. They're good. And Paul George is back, so that obviously helps uh, seal that deal a little bit. For those two, as for the East, it's going to be the Nets. Let's not sugarcoat it. And I do think the Hawks come in and top, and I think the Heat start to feel a little... They got to smell They got to smell downstairs. They might poop their pants a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
I'm just saying. I think that's a little nerve-wracking for me. If I'm a Heat fan, I'm rooting for Charlotte. I'm rooting for Cleveland. I don't want to see Trey Young. And maybe if you tell me you're a Heat fan and you say, yo, Heat culture, bro, we ain't scared of Atlanta, of course you're going to say that. And of course you should say that. You've been the number one seed basically for the entire second half of the year. You deserve it. Your team's really good. You're really tough. But guess what? I'm still scared of Trey Young. I witnessed it firsthand last year, just picking apart this supposed great defense that was awesome, top three all year. Now, do or did the Knicks have a Bam out of bio on their team? No, they did not. Did they have a Jimmy Butler on their team? No, they did not. So, yes, advantage heat. But you best believe, what, no matter what you're saying out loud, you are not looking forward to a Hawks matchup with Trey Young in the playoffs to see him drop 35 in your grill every single night. Even though they've been disappointed, man, they're starting to play better. And sometimes, you know, this young team that got a little bit of a taste last year to the conference finals, they said it themselves that they had a hard time getting up, which is a BS bogus excuse that a young team should never have. Maybe there's something to it. And maybe they show up in these playoffs and the bright lights are on and they start chirping and Trey hits shots. And all of a sudden, it's game six, and you're like, whoa, what happened here? We're a one seed. Okay, so heat, take your heat culture and check it at the door. You don't want to play the Hawks. You want to play Charlotte. You want to play Cleveland. That's the fact of the matter. So that's all we got. I just want to talk about some playing stuff. We'll get into some playoff stuff as this start, starts to unwind. We know who the exact matchups are. We'll talk all the series at length. You know, We'll talk awards maybe at some point. I didn't want to do that tonight uh, just by myself. So we'll get into that as well. Uh, but it's, man, it's playoff season. It's great stuff. We have baseball season as well. So if you're watching this on YouTube, go check out the other video if you haven't already. Talking, you know, Mets and Yankees, quick vibe check after the first weekend of the regular season. And if you're listening on the podcast, just stay tuned. It's coming up just in a moment. So thanks for listening so far. Pete Kennedy, stay tuned or click over for some baseball talk. Mets and Yankees, let's get it. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. It's SST, Apple Podcast app, Spotify, and now on YouTube. We are one and a half series into the Major League Baseball season. It's exciting. It's here. It's back. Ups and downs for the Yanks. Now, you know, we're not going to speak too soon. There's still a half inning left while we're recording this. Possibly going to be two and two. Mets blow the four-run lead against the Phillies. Now they're up to three and two. All in all, a positive vibes only type of weekend for the first weekend in New York for baseball. I see some side eyes from Andrew Kalanya, maybe not feeling as hot as he wanted to be with the New York Yankees. But we're going to start, nonetheless, with the New York Mets. Up until this point, the pitching has been pristine for the Mets, despite now having two losses. The starters crushing it out of the gate. The only earned run so in the first three starts was Max Scherzer giving up a home run. Taiwan Walker with a good two innings then goes out with the injury. That's obviously something to monitor, even though Drew Peterson came in and really was lights out for a little while there. So with the Mets here, Drew, the the what my big takeaway is right now is the lineup looks deep. I didn't introduce you guys, did I? Andrew Kalanya, Alec Argento. I'm trying to be quick here, trying to be more efficient with the YouTube style stuff going on here. But hey, Alec, Andrew, it's talking baseball. We know who's here. So Andrew, the Mets, the pitching's been good. 
The hitting looks deep, even though it's not like the runs are piling on like crazy, but the lineup looks like it has some some real meat to it. So what's the original reaction here five games in for the New York Mets? Well, got it. You have to love the starting pitching, what you've gotten so far. McGill was a real surprise on opening day. Uh, I didn't realize he threw as hard as he did. He was throwing gas on opening day, and that was super surprising. And then, um, you know, last podcast, I was talking about Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett, and he was exactly what the Mets needed. He went out there. He was efficient. He struck out a bunch of guys. He gave them length so they didn't have to continue to use the bullpen. And obviously, um, you know, Joely Rodriguez and Seth Lugo today didn't really have it. But, um, you know, it's still a, a strong – uh, performance overall by the Mets pitching staff and Mark Canna's, you know, he's been hot. He's hitting 570 uh, to start the season. So exactly what you want from a, from a great guy. And um, same with Starling Marte too. He's had some big hits as well. So um, definitely again, the, this, this, um, this latest loss of blowing a four run lead is not exactly what you want, but um, all things considered, it's been a much more positive, a uh, couple days for the Mets and I would say the Yankees. The, the one thing that I started to allude to before, and you got into a little bit too, is the lineup. And really the depth is going to be the big winner for me here into the early part of the season with the Mets. It really feels like no matter where you are in the lineup, maybe, you know, not including the eight, nine hole, but one through seven, even sometimes eight, depending on who they roll out there in a given day, it feels good. It feels like you have competent, everyday ready hitters throughout the entire lineup. Even when you're mixing in uh, the Guillaumes of the world, J.D. Davis has been in and out, and there's going to be obviously a lot of maneuvering. Dom Smith didn't play the first two, then he played a couple in a row. So there's a true depth here. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in the preview. The one question mark may be, where's the power going to come from? But what I'm seeing here is competent hitters that no matter who's up there, you're feeling like, we have a decent shot here. It's something you haven't felt specifically with the Mets, uh, you know, in the past. And now that we have it here, Kana is a guy, Kana, Kana, whatever it is, you know, he's going to be in that five through seven hole. I mean, not, he's not like he's going to hit over 500 all year, but he's a truly competent professional hitter. That's looking like one of the big things for me, despite maybe a lack of power, but man, this team can hit all over the field and, and, and really do it in old fashioned style. Good job, guys. <laughs> I, was waiting for, I was waiting for Alec because Alec, Alec didn't say the word. Yeah, I, I it didn't get thrown to me. If it was thrown to me, I was ready to talk. Just uh, threw it anywhere. Somebody catch it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I, 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 I refuse to buy into for any team right now that like you got to feel good or bad about anything unless you're seeing something that's super glaring. Uh, it's, you know, with the Mets right now, you saw a ton of good. There were some head scratcher moments the past couple of days with uh, Alonzo getting the yips in at first uh, in that inning that kind of blew the game and uh, and some bullpen usage and everything like that today. But ultimately, this is like still straight spring training in terms of guys getting warmed up and everything. And I refuse to just panic or over you know estimate a team. I mean, ultimately, they played the Nationals. You can't fault them for playing the Nationals. They looked well against like they played well against the Nationals, but the Nationals are still 
a lower tier team in the league. And, you know, you just can't take super stock in that. And then, you know, they, they played the, the Phillies today, just like the Yankees played the Blue Jays. They played good teams today and they lost. And that's okay too, right? It's okay to lose to a good team. Season's still super early. Starters are not going deep into games. You just got to let things go out, right? I'm just not going to, I'm, I know I get kind of caught uh, a reputation of being like a Yankee fan who's just going to overreact to everything sometimes, but I don't know. I, I just, it, this is a weird situation right now with MLB where you don't really know what's going to go on for the next three weeks or so. And once it gets to May, that's really, you know, when people will kind of figure into their, to what their roles are and what they're going to be doing for a little bit. So, but that being said, got to feel good about Lindor. Can uh, uh, McNeil's playing well. Alonzo had that big grand slam. The pitching's obviously been stellar, but you know, just let's, let's see how it goes uh, over the next couple of weeks before we make any, uh, any estimations on what they're going to be. And, and one more thing, I think the main positive for the Mets is Buck Showalter and, you know, being that calming presence and being that guy that, that, that the players are confident that has their back. When Lindor got hit in the face, the first guy out of the dugout was Buck Showalter uh, screaming, having his guys back, and and just just knowing that um, yeah, he had very low tolerance for his team getting hit all weekend, and, and it showed. And he was that guy that led them out of the dugout to, you know, sometimes you have to stick up for your team, and sometimes you got to get into a, a fake uh, brawlish kind of thing to kind of rally the team together. And that's exactly what... Uh, the kind of leadership that the Mets were sorely missing the last couple of years. So it was great to see Buck just immediately kind of take the reins and, and get the troops all pointed in one direction. It segues perfectly back to the Chris Bassett point that you were making before and how good and strong he looked in his first start. And he's a guy that, let's be honest, I'd say 95%, 90% of Mets fans had never seen pitch an actual game before. Maybe they saw some highlights. Maybe they caught a random game here and there, but realistically most Mets fan probably never saw him pitch. I know I had never watched him more than like seeing a couple clips on Twitter, loved his stuff, loved his demeanor. And that's what I want to key in on here for a second. The, the Buck Walter Bassett demeanor that we felt in that first series was palpable Bassett after that game saying how, when Juan Soto was up the plate in a key, key moment, he went down three Oh, and he didn't care that it was Juan Soto. Basically the only, not the only, but, one of two or three dangerous hitters in that lineup, he went right at him, ended up striking him out. And he said, listen, I've faced Otani. I faced Trout. I've been in a good division. I'm not going to be scared of anyone. I'm going to go at whoever I want. And it feels like it feels good to be on a team that has that same demeanor. And, you know, it was a weird moment in the first series to have the two hit in the head pitches there, Alonzo and Lindor, but it almost galvanized them early. Obviously, like Alex said, it's so early to care too much about anything too specifically, but the vibes are right. And the Buck Showalter point is a great one, uh, Andrew. They came off back-to-back new managers, rookie managers, guys who have no experience in this game as leaders of men, as heads of organizations in Callaway and Rojas. They went the complete opposite direction. Also a guy who you know is a modern baseball thinker. They were talking about it on the broadcast tonight. He's flipped franchises over and over again. Now, has Buck Showalter got to the promised land? No. That is something that is still not on his resume, and he wants to get it on his resume with the Mets. But he's had a history of taking franchises to much better places than they were before. And off the jump, you know, you got to be feeling decent about it, even with the blown lead, even with, you know, playing the Nationals. And Alec, I've heard you say this. We'll segue this into start talking about the Yankees in a minute. I've heard you say this every single year since I've known you, and we've been talking sports. You can't win a season in April, but you can lose one. And especially with the Mets and Yankees both – playing division rivals 
in these first two series, it feels even more important, right? If the Mets were playing um, the Diamondbacks right now and they and they lose two out of three, eh, you know, it's not great, obviously, but it's not going to come back to bite you as much as it would losing two out of three to the Phillies, the Marlins, the Braves, et cetera, the Nationals, because uh, these division games are going to be so important, especially in the AL and NL East. So with all the things you said before about not overreacting, you know, I was working with Chris Lepresi on the fan. He opened up his show by saying, I feel like Bart Simpson. I will not overreact to the yeah. first weekend of baseball. I will not overreact to the first weekend of baseball. I will not overreact. Well, we, we got to have some sort of reaction. So Alec, two outs in the bottom of the ninth here with the Yankees. You know, I'm sure by the time we finish your point, this game will uh, possibly be over with the big bat of Kyle Higashioka at the plate. <laughs> not to put you on that type of weird spot. But as far as positive vibes, for the most part with the Mets, with some negatives that need to be wrinkled out or ironed out, uh, what is, what's the thoughts for you in Yankee land? Positive vibes for the most part, or you just don't really, you know. Yeah, I, 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 you know, they, they lost today to Alec Minot, who is awesome. He's a, I th- think he's still a rookie. I think he's a big rookie of the year candidate uh, coming into the year. Um, they lost just now in case anybody's live listening to, to, to what's going on. Um, but I mean, you took two, two, two out of three against the Red Sox. You came back, you had some fire, some, co- some comeback wins, some, some, uh, you know, some little bit of intensity that they've been lacking. You're seeing good things out of players that you want to see good things out of, right? You're seeing Rizzo looking awesome to start the year. Uh, the bullpen has been absolutely insane, uh, this year so far, which you knew was going to be a strength coming in. Um, you know, I, I think it's it looks bad because it's two and two right now, but they won their first series and they're playing uh, the division favorite right now. And they lost one. Right. They're still it's a four game series. You got to see how that that turns out. But uh, I, I'm excited. I, I you know, I, I, I kind of talked myself into being excited in the last podcast with, um, you know, just kind of laying it out objectively for not just for everyone else, but also for myself to not overreact to the annoying things that have happened. But um, the pitching has been fine. You know, I, I think a lot of the issues that we're having right now are pitchers are coming in and giving up two, three runs in the first, like, two innings because they're not comfortable and they're not stretched out and then they come out of the game in the third or fourth inning or something like that. That stuff will iron itself out, right? It's just how it is. You can't be upset with Jamison Tyone for giving up two runs today. It's not that big of a deal, right? It's just more so that the offense needs to come alive. So give it some time and assess the situation in two, three weeks, right? If they're – if they're under 500 by like four or five games in two or three weeks, then yeah, I'm going to panic. Right. But um, if they're two and two, uh, four games into the season against division rivals, that's not bad. They're, at least they're not all and four against division rivals. Right. I guess, I guess so. But like, <laughs> I don't know. Brian Cashman like totally killed my fucking buzz today. Like with like the comments he had to go in and, and make on, on our friends at WFAN today. With uh, with Carton and Roberts, that he said, you know, we never made an official offer to Correa. We never and like I was fine. Like I I was more than happy with the way Rizzo was playing. But then like you come out and say we never even made an offer to these guys, and then coming out and saying that the Steinbrenner Bennett has done nothing but step up time and time again and could be at the highest level for the best players. Like two contradictory statements here. Like you completely killed. Like, he killed the vibe today, uh, Brian Cashman, and that's something I really didn't appreciate. Like, I was very optimistic. I was very happy about it. And then tonight, like, it was just a reminder that Aaron Boone is still a bad manager. Like, you had uh, Richards, who was on the ropes. He walked the first two guys. So he was the first two guys of the inning, so he couldn't take him out. And you have Higashioka up, 
and you have still have Donaldson on the bench instead of pinch hitting Donaldson for Higashioka. Like you've been pinch hitting the catcher for the last couple of nights. You allowed Higashioka to, again, you want to say the seven spring training home runs, whatever, who might run into one, fine, whatever. But like, he's still, he's not better than Donaldson. He's not better than the guy who, you know, he was the main key offseason piece. And you don't let him bat in that situation with the game on the line. I don't. I don't understand that move. And then you you pinch in him after the fact, so Toronto can go bring in their righty uh, dominant uh, uh, guy in Simber that that dominates right-handed hitters. So like you you played right into the hand because you didn't want to pinch hit Kyle Gashioko who struck out two in this game. And to watch this guy get potentially get like five hundred bats this year, it's going to kill my soul to watch that happen on a day in day, in and day out basis. And like and, and I. You know, the first couple of games, I can appreciate them pinch hitting and the, you know, obviously the, there's always going to be one hitter that shouldn't be on the bench every single day. And Boone, maybe the first couple of games, he's picked the right spots, but today he did not pick the right spot to use that pinch hit batter. And like, it just proves to me that like he, he's still not a good manager and that's what worries me. And again, this is four games. This is me overreacting, uh, but the vibes are just not... Not what you want this early on in the season. Again, Rizzo's been great. Um, Tyone showed a lot. And even Seve, um, I liked what I saw from him uh, starting-wise. And the bullpen is obviously still going to be a strength this year. But again, you just, you're always playing from behind when you have a bad manager and you're not confident in his ability to get the most out of the players that he has on the bench and to put them in the right spot to succeed. So that's what kind of him and Cashman uh, really killed my vibes uh, today. <laughs> I, I think coming into today, if they before this game happened, you would not have felt this like this broken about the Yankees right now. I don't care what Cashman says. I don't care what Boone says in the media. It doesn't affect me. But the, so if you look at it in the way that I felt good this morning after two of three to the Red Sox, and then okay, we were zero and one today, right? We 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 lost the game. We were at a 50-50 shot of winning the game. We lost it. If they lose this series, this four-game series, it's a different story. It's the first game of the series. You have to look at it separately. If they win this series. They've won two series against division rivals. They still can very clearly win this series. They can tie this series, and that's fine too. I just I, – I think it's so – like I'm not going to hit the panic button on that, especially when there's other things that I care more about, like – Oh, I'm, I'm just, not panicking. Just, I just, just the vibes are just not what I. But but they had two comeback wins. They had two comeback wins. So like the vibes were great going into today, right? I, yeah. I don't know. I thought so at least. I think everyone was there. They had a game where they lost. It, they didn't get blown out. They lost three nothing. It was a low scoring game on both yeah. ends. If you look at on the on the contrapositive, the Blue Jays were held to three runs. The Blue Jays had had like a thousand runs in the first three games. That's a good game for the Yankees. The, the bats just yeah. didn't come alive. It's not. And, and, you know, we'll see how it goes in game two, three, uh, and four. But, you know, if you lose with your four pitcher, it happens. It just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. That's how I feel about it, at least. Listen, you're definitely right. But Alec didn't write on the board, I will not overreact to the f- first couple games. He wrote, I will overreact. And the vibes are off, brother. So let him have his moment. The vibes are not right. I asked for a vibe check, and Andrew checked the vibe. So take your positive vibes, Alec, and go to sleep, you sleepy guy. It's ambivalent vibes, ambivalent <laughs> vibes. No, you're 100% right, and you're being the voice of reason, Alec, 100%. And, and it's a real the, role reversal here on the on this. Yeah, it really Get is. Get out of here. <laughs> it's, a blessing, it's a blessing and a, cur- and a curse of doing a pod directly after a loss. 
right? Because this isn't live radio. Some people might turn this episode on on Wednesday and be like, the hell is this Andrew guy talking about? Like, Hickey hit a home run last night, right? Like, you never know <laughs> what, what happens in 24 hours. I mean, he probably won't because he'll probably strike out every at bat because he freaking stinks, right, Andrew? But <laughs> Exactly. Thank you. No, but but you're right. And and the thing is, with uh, with the Mets, like starting pitching health is a concern. DeGrom already out. Taiwan Walker, after looking good for two innings, out. Now it's like, damn, we're already going into the depths even further of where we were. With the Yankees, it's like, who are we going to play where, why, and when? Because we have this like extra guy or two, and then are we going to push the right buttons? And maybe the buttons were pushed correctly a couple times already. On Monday night, the buttons were not pushed correctly, and you feel negative about it because that's what you just saw and what you just witnessed. It's it's a cause for concern, but it's not a reason to panic, obviously, uh, just yet. But that's a question for you guys before we say goodbye on on this topic here. And you know, we might move on to talk about some basketball, uh, or I will solo at least. Um, the button pushing from the lineup perspective, the DJ LeMayhew movement, the Glaber at second. Now Marwin Gonzalez gets the start at shortstop, which I know some people were curious about um, the shuffling of the outfielders, Hicks, Gallo being boomer bust. And that whole thing that was question marks or maybe, you know, marks of confidence for some going into the season. How do we feel after four games here? with the maneuvering of this lineup, that's probably going to be going on every single day for this entire season. I think if he does it, if he does it evenly, nobody will be offended. Everyone will appreciate that day off that they have. Uh, and, and, you know, the ability to kind of be flexible. If he benched Glaber the first three games, that would be an issue. Right. But if you're going with Glaber one day, you're going with Donaldson one day, you're going with DJ another, you're going with Hicks another time, as long as you do that. And then you keep the, the important bats like judge and Giancarlo into the, into the lineup as much as possible. I think you're fine. Uh, and that's going to be something, I mean, listen, if you want to say you have no confidence in Boone to figure out the right buttons to press, totally fine. We'll not argue that, but uh, you got to get, you think that he'll get a little bit better with it as the season goes on to know who to do, who to use and what, what situations a little bit more going forward. He's got the flexibility. We were just talking about how great of an opportunity this could be for him. Let's see how it goes. I just don't like the fact that like Donaldson of all guys was like on the bench. Again, it's the fourth game of the season. Like there's no reason for like your third or fourth best hitter to be on the bench again, again, even versus a division rival, even though it's the fourth game, like, uh, you know, it just, that kind of irks me a, a little too much to just to kind of just brush it off. Cause I can just, again, foresee, I mean, you want to try to keep him healthy because, you know, even the last couple of years, he hasn't, you know, he's had hamstring problems and whatnot. Then I guess, sure. Fine. But again, you have to deploy them in, in the right spots. And tonight he didn't do it in the, maybe the first two games, he, he deployed him in the right spots and pinch hit for the right spots. But again, he's I'm not super confident in, in his ability to continue to do so. But again, uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And again, eventually someone will get hurt. Someone will, you know, and the carousel will will stop. But for now, it, 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 it kind of is what it is. Alec, it looks like you're it looks like you're about I was, to I, I was going to, but I was trying to leave room for basketball talk for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'm going to go for another hour on basketball talk alone. Don't don't worry about it. Uh, no, uh, last question for you guys is, is there one person positive or negative out of these hitters who have been shuffled in? And, you know, you could leave out Judge and Stanton. You know, Judge has been whatever so far. Stanton looked really solid, I thought, from what I've seen. 
any one person jump out. I know you already mentioned Rizzo, so maybe leave him out too. Uh, who who you you feeling you feeling good about? Feeling like could be one of those guys who is going to want to be in the lineup as much as humanly possible out of the Lemayhews, the Glabers, that whole crew of the secondary guys in this in this lineup rotation. I'll say one thing: the Yankees got bat to death in that Red Sox series. Verdugo is snagging everything in left field. Uh, Donaldson and Gallo had quite a few hits that were directly at Verdugo uh, somehow and, and not even directly, but he just chased them down. So uh, they, they're swinging the bat, right? Uh, we'll just see if the ball start landing. Andrew, uh, I, I guess, I, I, I guess for me, um, you know, Gallo hasn't struck out as much as I thought. He, I think he's only struck out like three times in, oh, in four games. Wow. And he got, yeah. And he, uh, he struck out only five games, three three dines and four games, which is that which is pretty pretty good actually. Um, <laughs> and he got and he has two hits tonight, sure. so um, you know they they weren't bombs or anything like that, but he was definitely getting on base. So I think you can look at the, the positives for that as well. But again, I, I um, appreciate it. I appreciate the Gallo love because I'm a, I'm a Gallo guy. I've been for a long time. I understand the numbers. Mm-hmm. I understand some people don't like the style, um, but I I do enjoy the texts that I've gotten in various group chats already in the first four games, like, Oh, Gallo sucks. I can't even watch this guy. Oh, Hicks is terrible. Get him out of here. Like people just throwing these dudes under the bus. Like they've done terribly wrong already. I'm like, all right, let's relax. If, if Gallo has 25 home runs by the all-star break, you're going to shut your mouth. I, I realized uh, you, uh, Pete, I know you're, uh, you're not a big star Wars fan, but do you know what the rule of two is? All right. Yeah. Drew knows what the rule of two is. You don't know what that is? There's two sets at all the time. There's a master and an apprentice. For me, there's a rule of two. I have to hate somebody, despise them amongst uh, everyone else on the team, and there's always someone waiting in the wings. I lost Gary Sanchez. He's gone now. Now my hate goes to Joey Gallo, even though I was just praising him a little bit, despise the guy. And now Aaron Judge is waiting in the wings after that whole contract situation. Mm. So you got to allow it to yell up. Uh, fans to hate somebody on their team so they get that little cathartic rise out of their system uh and just move on from things so allow people to hate on gallo because if they're not they're just going to shift to somebody else right you should shift it to kyle higashioka <laughs> that's who you need to because like yeah I, we didn't trade anything for kyle higashioka he's a stopgap uh, catcher and i'm not going to continue this conversation goodbye <laughs> i hate him so much i hate him so much Hate somebody uh, who actually is expected to produce and is not producing. Uh, well, he was he was put in two spots to produce tonight, and he failed to produce. Um, so again, I, I until until the Yankees go out and actually go, get guys. this get this catcher, <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep going, baby. I'll keep going until the Yankees okay. actually go out and get this catcher. Kyle Gashioka will be the ire of of my eyes for Alec, until further said, notice. He's your Gallo. He's your former Sanchez. You have to love him. No, he, he, he can have it. I'm not going to tell him he can't. I'm just saying there's so many better options to choose from. It's like the lowest of low hanging fruit is to go for the guy who's expected to hit 185 and hits 185 at the end of the season. Go for the guy who's getting paid 20 something million or something like that. And is, to hit 185. Know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right. This is a great check-in after just a handful of games for both of our New York teams. Andrew Kalanya, Alec Argento, thank you so much. We're going to try to do these check-ins, uh, you know, as much as possible. Then, you know, a little bit less frequently, we'll do like the long-form, hour-long episodes where we deep-dive stuff. But these are fun. These are really awesome to get out there. Make sure, you know, you can watch them on YouTube. Subscribe, hit the notifications button on your podcast apps as well. 
they'll probably be mixed in with other topics, you know, basketball. I'm going to talk about some playing games in a few minutes. Uh, playoffs around the block. NFL draft around the block. Amazing. Any last words before we say goodbye? Baseball's back, baby. Let's go. Well, again, uh, the, the Yankees have a tactically bad manager who has to utilize a pinch hitters on a nightly basis. It's a right, recipe yeah, for disaster. But, 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 it's, entire, it's <laughs> entirely too early to panic, but everyone should be concerned. And there it is, Andrew Kalanya, the biggest complainer of the first four games. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much thank you very much <laughs> no no I, I feel you i feel you i just had to, i had to give you the oscars moment there for for mm-hmm. a quick second all right y'all thanks for listening subway sports talk subscribe rate review the whole nine andrew Kalani Argento at Argento espn on your social medias at swarles underscore swarles barkley mm-hmm. on your social medias for andrew Kalanya. cheers see you bye thank you very much thank you very much oh. <laughs>